0: audiobooks and square books in Oxford, an independent bookstore offering more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and bookseller recommendations. More at
1: Libro.fm. Good morning. It's 830 on Thursday, December 6th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, can conditions for Mississippians detained in county jails and juvenile centers be improved? We'll learn more.
2: There is a right of freedom, especially if conditions are such that that person can be let out of jail. And it's necessary for this information to be available to judges to make a determination as to whether they're eligible to be released.
1: Then find out how automotive programs across the state are preparing students for the workforce. And in our book club, author G. Mark LaFrancis chronicles the jailing of teenagers, at the State Penitentiary at Parchman for participating in a protest march in 1965. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Poor data collection at Mississippi's jails is leading some legislators to question the fairness of sentencing, The Legislative Performance Evaluation and Expenditure Review Group, known as the Peer Committee, released a recent report showing there is no statewide system to accurately monitor incarceration data. That includes information on why some inmates are held in jail for long periods of time before trial. James Barber is executive director of the Peer Committee staff. They found one Lowndes County facility holding an inmate for approximately six years without trial. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood that's enough to recommend legislation that mandates some statewide standard for record keeping.
2: Well, uh, as you know, every individual has basic rights and there is a right of freedom, especially if conditions are such that that person can be let out of jail. And it's necessary for this information to be available to judges that have jurisdiction over people in jail to make a determination as to whether they're eligible to be released. You don't want a situation where somebody sits in jail without the judicial system knowing that that person is there and possibly being able to write an order of some kind, give a bond, or whatever, to allow that person to leave jail legitimately.
3: I know one of the findings listed the limitations in data could prevent judicial officers from proper execution of duties. Kind of talk about that.
2: Okay, every county has to have a jail docket. Uh, And the, the first reason for having the jail docket is so that the sheriff and his staff will know who is in their custody and for what offenses they are in in jail. Uh, so it's important one just to know who's there and then secondly for those people to be channeled into the juvenile justice into the uh justice system so that judges can then step in and uh take the actions that are, are appropriate for each individual. What we found is just a mixed bag of data quality because there was no uniform method for recording information about the inmates. Uh, Counties did it differently. One offense may be recorded one way in uh, one county, and the same offense may be described and recorded differently in another county. So it was difficult to match county to county as to what type of offenses people were in jail for, how long they had been there and whether reports are sent to the judges as required by the courts so that the judges can then make appropriate decisions.
3: Was there anything particular of the report and the findings that you also would like to mention?
2: The recommendation is that the legislature ought to um, maybe task the administrative office of the courts with the responsibility of developing some kind of record-keeping standards so that there would be a centralized database that could capture the information and assist the judicial system in making appropriate decisions.
3: And what are the steps for those recommendations to be um, set in stone? Some legislator
2: would need to introduce a bill for the legislature's consideration.
3: James Barber, Executive Director of the Mississippi Legislative Peer Committee, I want to thank you so much for your time
2: you're certainly welcome.
1: Barber says 2014's House Bill 585 offers juvenile justice reforms to help with reentry, entry And 2018's House Bill 387 is intended to help determine who's in county jails and juvenile detention centers, how long and for what offenses. Cliff Johnson is director of the MacArthur Justice Center at the University of Mississippi School of Law. They found the average number of days adults sit in jail without being convicted ranged from zero days in Montgomery County to 923 days in Rankin County. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood more.
4: When we tried to determine who is incarcerated in county jails, why they're there, how long they've been there, whether they've been indicted yet, we learned quickly that there is no uniform system in the state of Mississippi for tracking people who are incarcerated at the local county level and in municipal jails. And, and as a result, um, there are important constitutional issues that are more difficult to protect. There are economic consequences. There are uh, policy decisions that are affected by imperfect information and, frankly, um, the loss of people in our jail system.
3: What are the worst outcomes that an individual inside of the jail could see and also the state because of this issue of imperfect information?
4: The question to ask is Who are these people that show up on our database at com? Anybody can go and see the names of these people and how long they've been there. Who are they and why have they been there? So, so imagine a situation where someone gets arrested on a felony possession of drug charge. And um, you don't have the money to make bail, so you're indigent, as many people in Mississippi are. You're in a State where there's no time uh, limit on how long you can be incarcerated prior to indictment. In Mississippi, you can hold someone indefinitely without ever even indicting them. In many places, the grand jury only meets two or three times a year. So if you get passed over from one grand jury to the next, you're in jail for another three months or six months without ever being formally charged. So you can't make bail, you're stuck in jail. You haven't been charged. After you've been charged, it may be quite some time before you have a trial date set. So we see people who are in jail over a year, two years and beyond, before they ever get to a courtroom or before their their case ever comes to a head, people who are presumed innocent and who are only in jail because they're too poor to make bail and there's no time limit on how long you can be held in Mississippi, prior to your case being brought to court and you know that's that's terrifying right i mean you know you are presumed innocent um you've had allegations made against you by someone uh that in in many instances are incorrect or they overstate the conduct some of these cases are dismissed people are found innocent but they've served two years in jail they've been locked up in a county jail for two years and and that should trouble everyone in mississippi
3: a situation like that, um it, it has its effect on state resources. Um some may call it a waste of state resources. Um kinda explain how that can be.
4: Right. So so what's supposed to happen in the bail analysis is we're really only supposed to impose secured money bail, cash bail, in those instances where one, you are a danger to the community. So those few individuals, relatively few who we think are just too dangerous to be out and about. And the other is the situation where someone is a flight risk. We think they're going to run. And judges are supposed to make determinations regarding whether someone's a a risk to the community or a flight risk before they impose cash bail. But what's happening is still in Mississippi, cash bail is being imposed in 95% plus of felony criminal cases. And so counties are paying to hold thousands of people pre-trial at 40 to $50 a night. Um, people who could be out in the community, who could be monitored otherwise while they await their trial and a determination of their actual guilt or innocence. My estimate based on the numbers we collected and published in our, our first version of the database, is that counties are spending as much as you know, $80 to $100 million a year incarcerating individuals pre-trial. And these are cash-strapped counties that you know, are, are having real problems making ends meet and they're spending significant sums of money holding people pre-trial. People who have not been found guilty of a crime.
3: Thinking about juveniles, I can't help but imagine if there is a young person that is um, held in jail waiting on an indictment and let's say after the process they were innocent, I wonder what being kept for so long in that state, what that may do to them uh, emotionally, mentally, as they return to society
4: you know, I think part of what's happened too, is we've, we've minimized the significance of incarceration and, and there's data out there that, that, shows very clearly the impact of incarceration. Even three days, five days, the thing that starts happening, right? I mean, if you were in school, then you're in a world of hurt. You start falling behind. You have problems. Um, if you have a job, you often lose your job, lose your income. Then you lose your housing. You get behind on your child support. There's, there's, this, there's this parade of horribles that happens when you start taking people out of society and, and locking them up. And so you have economic consequences, and you certainly have um, emotional consequences from long-term incarceration. I don't think anybody thinks we're rehabilitating people in jail. I think even the most ardent, you know, law and punishment, tough-on-crime type of folks would recognize that our jails are rough places in Mississippi, and nobody's becoming a nicer, kinder person by sitting in our jails or anything.
3: Cliff, is there anything that I didn't mention um, that you would like to add to this?
4: I think, Ashley, that people need to take an interest in this because it is their children, their husbands, wives um, who are at risk, that we shouldn't view this as an issue that affects those people, other people, bad people. You know, when we don't follow the law, when we become a nation that doesn't respect the rule of law, that has significant consequences for all of us. And these constitutional protections exist for a reason. They're important for an ordered society. And this is not an us versus them issue. This affects all of us. And uh, I fear sometimes that people are quick to say that they want the harshest possible system to take care of bad guys without recognizing that come this afternoon or tomorrow morning, that bad guy could be your your son or your brother.
3: Cliff Johnson, the director of the MacArthur Justice Center at the University of Mississippi. Thank you so much for your time on this issue.
4: Thanks, Ashley.
1: Advocates hope legislators will review the peer committee's recommendation during the 2019 session. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, find out how automotive programs across the state are preparing students for the workforce. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: Running a business requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB Program Underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting.
1: This is Mississippi Edition. Mississippi is expanding the number of nationally accredited automotive technology programs. This school year, close to a third of the state's school districts are offering high school students training that will prepare them for direct entry into the workforce. As one of only 17 states that require high school automotive technology programs to be accredited by the National Automotive Technicians Education Foundation, the number of certified programs is expected to grow. Wendy Clemens is executive Director of Secondary Education at the Mississippi Department of Education. She says certified programs will better train students for the state's growing automotive industry and help close the skills gap.
0: The ASC is the Automotive Service Excellence uh, Education Foundation, and we work with them. Their mission is to partner with schools, both post-secondary trade schools and uh, in industry, to basically build a workforce in the area of automotive service. And so what we did starting about three years ago, we communicated to our career technical education centers uh, throughout the state that if, in fact, they were offering an automotive program in their district, that we were going to expect them to meet what we call the Automotive Service Excellence uh, Certification. And what that means is that they apply to ASC, and they have to go through an internal review process, kind of a reflection review process, and then they actually have to have a master automotive tradesperson come into their district and evaluate and audit their program. And if, in fact, they meet the standards set by the agency, then they receive a certification. Additionally, their instructor, the person, their teacher, also has, to receive a minimum of what we call four ASCs, which uh, could be related to um, transmission work. Or it could be related to various pieces to the automotive service industry. So not only do we have program requirements, but we also have teacher requirements. So about three years ago, we sent the requirements out to our districts and let them know that if they were going to have an automotive program in their district, that from a state level, we expected them to have what we call a certified program with a certified teacher. The importance of this is that if we are, in fact, going to have students enrolled in these automotive programs in our state, we want to know that when they are a completer, and by completer, we mean that they have successfully completed two years in the automotive program, that they have an avenue to at least enter in as an entry-level certified employee.
1: Let's talk about the student themselves. How long of their high school years will they spend in a class or classes to get this certification?
0: In a typical program, they are in a program for two years, and in that two-year period, they will have what we consider two Carnegie units per year. A Carnegie unit is defined as about 140 hours of instruction.
1: They are training where on campus at a high school or they or at a community college.
0: The programs that we reference in our article are secondary career and technical education programs. So that's basically on a high school campus. Sometimes those career and technical centers are on the campus of the actual high school, and in some cases they are kind of removed from. They're on a
1: different campus when that student graduates with Francis. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: MPB would like to thank Daniel, Coker, Horton, and Bell and the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter, too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting to find out how.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In October of 1965, hundreds of protesters in Natchez marched to protest the treatment of blacks by whites. Nearly 150 of the protesters, mostly teenagers, were taken to the state penitentiary at Parchman, where they were crammed into cells. The story of their horrific treatment was first a documentary and now in a book. G. Mark LaFrancis is the senior writer of The Natchez Ordeal, 1965 Natchez Civil Rights Injustice. He tells us how the teenagers, girls, boys ended up in a maximum security prison.
5: About 800 were arrested over a period of about two days by local authorities. That is the mostly the the Natchez police. And they were all brought to the Natchez city auditorium. So the city auditorium was housing uh, basically a holding cell of about 800 people. And these are mostly uh, young African Americans, ages 13 or less to 22, around there. And the authorities released the the older arrestees and the the young ones, the the children, were uh, released too. Then they still had several hundred left. And rather than release them on their own recognizance, which really should have happened, they sent a whole bunch to local jails. They filled the local jails, and they still had about 150 left over in the auditorium. And they didn't know what to do with them. They decided not to release them. And the local police chief made arrangements with the superintendent of the prison in Parchment to take them there. So about 150 were herded back onto buses and driven to Parchment, where they were put in maximum security cells, squeezed into maximum security cells. And there they stayed for several days.
1: Were they put in those cells with other... Criminals who were already at Parchman?
5: Karen, they cleared out the maximum security cells just to put the uh, people from Natchez in Parchman. In fact, we had learned that many of them were in the very same cells that the Freedom Riders were put in uh, four years earlier.
1: Were all of those who were arrested and taken to Parchman African-American?
5: No. There were some young white folks who had come to Mississippi to participate in the struggle and in the marches.
1: You said that the youngest were abused and humiliated. Can you tell us more about that? What happened to them?
5: First off, when they arrived, the first wave of men were stripped. And the women were not. They were allowed to keep uh, their underwear on. They forced them to drink x and they put them in cramped cells. The women were in with women, and the men were with men. Uh, it was October. It was cold. So they opened the windows to make it colder. Some of the men were hosed. The women were basically told, if you don't shut up, we'll keep hosing the men. And they fed them absolutely horrid food. And our book does describe that kind of condition. And they gave them almost no toilet paper.
1: I can't get past so- the XLAX, which means they were intentionally trying to get these people to soil themselves?
5: Yes. And they had no betting on the cold steel beds. So there they were for days cramped in. Some of them didn't know why they had been arrested. They weren't allowed to make a phone call home. They were not read their right. So the situation for them was absolute terror. These are all real young high school students, really. They were held anywhere from three to five days. And then what what they did is they never made arrangements. The city authorities never made arrangements with parchment or anybody to bring them back. So the relatives and supporters and churches and the NAACP had to post a bond with the local police and go get them. They actually arrived in cars in buses and vans at different times because people came up at different times to, to get them. There was nothing reported in the local papers. There was no apology. There was no court. They never went to court.
1: Of the people you talked to who suffered degrading circumstances, does that still stay with them?
5: Absolutely. Uh, Some of them even recalled in our interviews, and I'm saying interviews some 50 years or so after the incident, the smells of the prison and the smells that lingered with them for weeks after they got back. The details of the treatment they received stuck with them. And Karen, the absolute emotional feelings that they had while they were imprisoned resurfaced during our interviews and will be told in the book. So yes.
1: The Parchment Ordeal, 1965, Natchez, Civil Rights and Justice is the name of the book. The senior writer is G. Mark LaFrancis, who we've been speaking with and writers Robert Morgan and Daryl White. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. The documentary and book were sponsored in part by the Mississippi Humanities Council. LaFrancis and the other writers, Robert Morgan and Daryl White, will be at Lemuria Books in Jackson this coming Monday at 5 p.m. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.